22 to 35. He went on his, way, on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come again into this place to worship you, to praise you, to sing to your beautiful name. And we come also, Lord, to hear you speak. And so, Lord, we do indeed pray now that you would indeed come, that you would cause your servant to completely disappear, that we all might look upon you, know you and know our place, Lord, in front of you, before you, that you would call us if we don't know you, that you would encourage us if we do, and that we would leave here desiring to honour you in all that we do. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Chapel Street. How are you all doing? Good. Good morning, Chapel Street online, and also hello to those that will listen later on, those in Ohio and other places that we know, listen, it's my joy to be opening the word together with you again this morning. And we're back in Luke, continuing our thorough read through as a church, the entire gospel, and now focusing on just one small area of what's been read to us today. I feel like already the Lord is joining things together for us through the communion and, and the leading and the singing. And now we come to this passage about the narrow door. A passage known to all of us. Passages about narrow ways and broad ways and narrow doors. 
things that are hard to get through. And so I pray as we go through this that it won't be hard for God to get through to us about the significance and the import of getting through the narrow door. And as has already been stated to us, the Lord is speaking primarily, or is addressing primarily the Jews. He's speaking to everyone. But in the ancient world at this time, he is speaking to the Jews. He is addressing them and their issues and their faith. But in this day, he's addressing you. He's addressing us. And so we mustn't sit here this morning and just say, well, that's okay. Objectively, I can listen to this and think, well, the Lord's just speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to us today. So listen up. It's not just a quaint looking story. It's a story that has fear at the very heart of it, or it should have fear at the very heart of it. It's terrifying for us today. We've got to get this story right. As has been said, it's about ultimate destinations, the kingdom of God, where we can rest, recline at table, be in the presence of Jesus, or on the other hand, hell. There's a weeping and a gnashing of teeth where there is horrific striving and judgment forever. So we need to ask the question, where am I going? <laughs> well, I get there. Well, I get where I think I'm going because the Jews think they're going to get somewhere. Suggest that they've got a few issues in this text. Now, when Jesus goes around teaching in the towns and villages, people often ask him questions. And one of the questions that quite often comes up is, teacher or Lord or master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life's a significant, important thing, isn't it? But this time, something different happens. This gentleman arrives and says, how many are going to get eternal life? <laughs> How many are going to be saved? Not, am I going to be saved? I mean, there's a question there about, well, is it the case that not everyone is going to be saved? The answer, of course, is mm -hmm. absolutely. It's a good question. We can't assume that the Jews are going to get into heaven. We can't assume that the Christians are going to get into heaven. We can't assume those things. It's an important question then. And the Lord's answer totally separates those that will get in and those that won't. People don't like this stuff. The Lord is binary about truth. Truth is binary. It is true or it is false. And this truth separates the idea that we might have about where we're going. We're either going to heaven to recline at table, presence of God, we're going to hell. So make sure we understand that he's speaking to the Jews, because that helps us unlock this, but also that he's speaking to us again today. I'm not going to reread the passage. It's just from verses 22 following that I'm most concerned about. A shattering reality comes out of this text when the Lord speaks to the Jews. They might be going to hell. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be in another place and they might see it and they might be weeping and gnashing with teeth. Why? Because that's where we're going to be. <laughs> we're Jews, aren't we? That's, that's where we're going to go. Why, why aren't we there? So 
Let's see if we can understand that shattering reality. Very quickly, let's break it down and then I want us to dive into one particular area. There is a door. The door allows us to go through to a place and behind that door is the kingdom of God. It's a narrow door. Why narrow? Well, I guess not everyone can pass through that door. The other side of the door is this and what comes after? Judgment, hell. Think about the way doors work. It's not hard to think about the ways door, doors work. They prevent people from going in or out or they allow people to go in and out. That's what a door does. At some point, the master will rise up and will close the door. This isn't a mystery. There isn't some obscure analogy here. He's referring to himself. He's referring to Jesus coming to close the door. It's a picture of him later returning. Some will get in and some won't. And those that don't get in will come and they will knock on the door. Seems like a good idea. Hey, why is the door closed? We're Jews, surely. You know what? Let's come on in, open the door. And they will not be allowed in. Jesus will say, or the master will say, I don't know where you come from. It's a bit different, isn't it? It's not, I don't know who you are. It's, I don't know where you come from. That's an odd expression for him to use. I think uh, you can come from somewhere in two different ways. You can come from a place. And you can come from like a literal physical place and you can come from a place in your heart. Not sure exactly what the Lord's getting at there. But these Jews are from the place they should come from, aren't they? They're from Israel. They're from the people of God. They should be the ones that he knows where they're coming from. He's questioning something about where their faith comes from where their faith is at, where their faith is going, where it's leading them. I do not know where you come from. And they say, well, hang on a sec. Didn't we eat and drink with you? Didn't you preach on our streets, Jesus? You know where we came from. You preached on our streets, Israel, Jerusalem. Surely you know where we come from. And he says the same thing. I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, depart from me, all you workers of evil. Must have been really shocking to hear that. In that place, that place where I will cast you out, there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom, but you yourselves are cast out. It's where they come from. I may say this with respect. Coming from a Jewish family, it's worthless. Where they come from in here is invalid. Perhaps they just assumed because they were Jews that they would be able to pass through the narrow door. Worse than that, as Dave's already exhorted us, there's a sting in the tail here. Because once the Jews hear that message, the Lord then says to them, 
oh, and by the way, there are all these other people that come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, i.e. not Jews, he's referring to Gentiles, that will come, <laughs> that will come through the narrow door, that will recline at the table, that will be in the kingdom of God. Imagine that was hard to hear because the Jews thought they had everything. And in some sense, they did. But in another, they had nothing. And terrible realization must have, one hopes, come across their face when they heard Jesus say these things. Surely all the Jews will be saved. I don't know if you've ever had that awful experience um i've had it many times in the past where you either arrive at an airport or um, your connecting flight is a bit late I remember flying into boston one time from atlanta trying to get to a town called halifax in nova scotia and it was an important deadline and my flight coming in was late it was very late and i just didn't have a lot of time to get this connection to the next destination and far be it for me to overemphasize this, but I did run from the terminal that I arrived at to the terminal where I was going to depart with all the gusto that I could, but I arrived too late. And I went to the desk and the lady said, sorry, sir, the gate is closed. And I said, but the plane's there, you know, that experience, the gate's closed. I can see the plane out the window, you know, just open the gate. And then those awful words came, sorry, sir, the door has been closed. It's a terrifying moment. You're lost, you're in another place, you're not where you're meant to be, you've missed your flight, you're not going to get to where you're going and the door has been closed. And you know at that point, it's not going to be open for you. Right? You've got a number of choices. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, the experience you've felt, or you've seen others. It's quite extraordinary to look at. People weep. <laughs> they get upset. They cry. They literally cry. Some get really angry. How dare you? Do you know who I am? I've got an important meeting. I've got to get to such and such a destination. Open the door. They get angry. I quite like the phrase gnashing of teeth. Something horrible about it, but there's something in there that's just brutal anger, isn't it? That's what gnashing teeth is. Anger. Thorough anger. Perhaps that's their experience. There's only one door. There's not loads. I spoke to a guy on the phone on Friday, you know, one of those people that phones up and says, it looks like they're phoning from Melbourne or somewhere, and it's somewhere in India, and they're going to try and con you or uh, trick you in some way or sell you something you don't want. I found, by the way, the best way to deal with those people is to share the gospel with them. They either hang up pretty quickly or you get an interesting conversation. But this conversation I have with this fellow on Friday was fascinating. He was a, a Muslim. He's from Calcutta. We had a full-on discussion about it and eventually he got sick of me and hung up. During that conversation, he actually said as a Muslim... It doesn't matter what religion you're part of, which really shocked me. You read the Quran? I mean, when did you last go to a mosque? People have the idea that it doesn't matter which road you take. There's plenty of doors. Oh, you take Jesus. I'll take Buddha. 
You can take Karl Marx, Jean-Paul Sartre, whoever. But it doesn't matter. There's only one door and there's only one person that opens it and there's only one person that closes it. And you cannot open it yourself. So when you read this text, you should say, well, what about me then, Sam? I mean, I'm a Christian, aren't I? I'm, I'm okay. I mean, I, I go to Bible studies. <laughs> I go to church. I come to the prayer night. I pray without ceasing. I even tell people the gospel. Now, let me tell you, don't assume anything. This is a scary message to give. I don't want to frighten you if you're going to heaven. I don't want you to think that you're not if you are. But if you think that you are and you're not, I want you to know. I really want you to know that. Don't make that mistake like the Jews. Don't assume anything. You might say, okay, fine. Got what you're going on about. So tell me how. Tell me how I can know. Well, I want us to focus on just one word in this entire passage, which I think unlocks the whole picture, the whole reality about where we're going, what door we are or are not going through, what path we're on or are not on. Because if the narrow door is vital for eternal life, you have to say, well, am I going through it? Am I going to get there? The word... I want us to look at is in verse 24. So if you've got your Bibles, just jump back to that. <clears throat> Luke 13, verse 24. Strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door. The Jews were asked to strive. We are asked to strive to enter through the narrow door. Now, the Greek word for strive here is agonithmai, agonithmai. You can see where the word agonize comes from, can't you? It comes from this word. It means to labor fervently, to agonize in laboring to fight, not in the fisticuff way of fighting, but in the agonizing, pushing on, enduring, being long-suffering form of fighting. Fight to enter the narrow door. We hear the echo of that from Hebrews. It's actually a different word, but in view of hearing the word, strive to enter I rest, strive to go through the narrow door. It's a good word to use. I want to say to you right now that striving can be understood in two very different ways that affect our understanding of this. And I just want to say right now that striving biblically for Christ, in Christ, to arrive at the narrow door is all about faith. It is all about hope. It is all about trust. In fact, it's all about where you put your whole life. What effort of striving you will place into your life to arrive at that door. 
It's not a passive thing, isn't it? The Lord doesn't say, look, you know, believe in me and take a seat. <laughs> take a seat and just, you know, I'll get you there. I mean, he is going to get us there. It is his work. Don't misunderstand me. But it's not a passive thing. We have to do something. We have to be involved in this in some way. But we must be sure that the Lord is not talking about works. I'll come on to that. Here's some other people from the word that use the same word to strive. You'll know these people. This is Paul, First Timothy. For physical training is of some value. Some. <laughs> but godliness have, has value for all things. Physical training of some value. But godliness is valued for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the eternal life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, says Paul, that deserves full acceptance. Wow, it's a trustworthy saying. Godliness has value for all things, for this life and the next. And then he says, that is why we labor and strive. Because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all peoples. Saying that life is hard. Things happen to us. We suffer, we struggle in so many different ways. But we labor and strive to put our hope somewhere in the living God because we have faith in him. First Timothy 6, Paul says, fight the good fight. You know that phrase? He uses it a couple of times. You know what the word is? Agonismai, labor, agonize. Labor fervently for the good laboring of fervently of the faith. That's what he says. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold, lay hold of the eternal life to which you are called. Wow, lay hold of it. Grab hold of it. Strive to get it. About which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We do that every Sunday we come here. We sing praises to God. We take communion when it's here. We hear his word. We make a confession, right? We talk about the Lord. We talk about what he's doing in our lives, how we've trusted him. Lay hold of it. Fight. Grapple for it. Don't be passive. The end of, uh, towards the end of 2 Timothy, where Paul is about to die, he writes to Timothy again, and he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. It just means I'm about to die. That's what the expression means. And the time for my departure is near. Listen. I have fought the good fight. I fought it. Strived. It's the same word. I have strived the good striving. I have finished the race. I have, maybe you know what he says? Kept the faith. Strive to enter the narrow door. Strive to enter the narrow door. Keep the faith. So when the Lord says strive to enter through the narrow door, he's not talking about salvation by works. Though some so-called Christian groups would suggest that we have to do works in order to please God, in order to atone in some way for our sin. He's not saying that because the Bible says otherwise, doesn't it? Ephesians 2.8 makes it very clear as an example. 
By grace you've been saved. It's a gift by grace. Through faith. You got faith. God gave you faith. That's another gift. So that no man will boast. It's God's work. So it's not works that we bring to this. He's not saying strive or fight in order to be saved. It's very clear that he's connecting striving in the word with faith, with hope, with trust. Because persecution will come. We've prayed this morning for some of our brothers and sisters, our real family in the world, that know a certain kind of persecution. We know another kind, different. Anybody here not suffering? Raise your hand. Online, raise your hand. We're all suffering in one way or another, some more than others, and some um, have, a, have an easier set, um, time or season. Where's your faith going to be when suffering comes? What are you going to strive for then? What are you going to strive in then? So I've got just two questions, surely, that come from this text that as Christians, we really need to ask. One, well, what should we be striving for? It told us that it's about faith and hope and trust, but what do we strive for in that? Number two is, well, what does that look like? <laughs> what does striving look like? Let's talk about what it really looks like. So let's deal with the first one. What would, should we be striving for? Well, you notice in that passage, the Lord also says, many seek to enter but are not able. So there's something around seeking here and striving that's important. I put it to us is that we can strive in Christianity for entirely the wrong thing. We can seek entirely the wrong thing. And that might be our salvation. As crazy as that sounds, it might be just being in the kingdom of God. I just want to be in a place where there's peace. There's no more striving, where I can recline at table and get out of this world. That's striving for the wrong thing. And I suggest that, if I may say, that the Jews are seeking the wrong thing in that passage. They're seeking the kingdom of God, but they are doing it for themselves. Because the kingdom of God isn't about us being there and saying, what a great place. The kingdom of God is about us being there with Christ. It's about being with him that matters. So, I want to put it like this, very straightforward list, but it's in this order. You can maybe jumble some of these around, but the first one has to go first. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Strive to know Jesus Christ. Number one, and start anywhere else. Don't start with theology or anything. Those things might be good. They might support and supplant ideas and, and correct things. Start with just knowing Jesus Christ. If the thief on the cross at the last second or two or minute of his entire life can know Jesus Christ by him opening his eyes, realizing who Jesus really is, then we've got plenty of time, even if we do not make it home on the way today. You've got time right now, today, here, right? Strive to know Jesus Christ. Labor to admit him into your life. 
not an idea, a person, have a living, real relationship with him. And strive then, once you know him, to love him. To love him more than anything else. I spoke to someone recently who said that his family was more important than Christ. And that Christ would want that. And there's a sort of truth in that idea, right? Christ wants us to love our families, but not before Christ. Christ is number one. We love him before anyone, before anything else. Next, strive to holiness, to obedience. Now, if you start with that one, <laughs> you've misplaced your effort. You've misplaced your striving or your wrangling. Christ is number one, then the obedience and the attempt to be holy and to emulate Christ falls from knowing him and from loving him. Strive to love the church. Sometimes we can take chunks out of each other. We need to forgive. We need to say sorry. We need to love the church. We need to be the example that Christ is to this world that doesn't know forgiveness or love, really. Strive to love your neighbor as yourself. Strive to die to self and to live for Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen? You know what he says next? And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know what Paul's saying there in Galatians? I'm going through the narrow door. I want to go through I want to die to myself. Christ is living. I'm, I'm dead. He's living in me. I've got to still live in the flesh. I'm still a human being. But I'm going to live for him, for his glory. I'm going through the narrow door. You know what I think the world strives for at the moment, particularly the Western world? The world strives for lots of things. But in the West, one of the big things it strives for is recognition. Recognition. Look what I did. Look who I am. Look where I came from. I'm special. I'm different to you. That's what the world is saying. Social media is all over that concept. Bathes in that concept. Recognition. People have a confidence in themselves. They have a confidence in who they are, where they came from. There's someone in the Bible that has that confidence. He says, I myself have a reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Here he goes. Here he tells us what it is. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel. In fact, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was even a persecutor of the church. 
but, oh, sorry, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, listen to this, under the law, I was blameless. He's got a reason to boast and confidence in, his, in himself. Then he says this, but, this is Paul, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I've been crucified with Christ. You can hear it right there. I've got all these things. I'm a Benjamite. Concerning the law, I'm blameless. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's nothing because I've seen the worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. For his sake, he says, I've suffered the loss of everything. <laughs> I've got, it's all gone. And I count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, he suddenly understands righteousness. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Listen, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And that I may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible. Is striving. Any means possible. I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's striving. That's desiring to go through the narrow door for Christ, to Christ, not just for the kingdom of God. So if that's what we're striving for, then what does striving look like? It's easy to talk about these things. But the way that we go through the narrow door, the way that we're aiming, as it were, walking towards really matters what it looks like. Very simple. Number one, it's a life of self-sacrifice, just like Christ. Christ died for you. You're going to live for yourself. You're going to live for him. You want to live for him? You need to die to yourself. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. A life of self-sacrifice, putting others first, putting God first. A life in the word of God. Life in it. Let my word abide in you. A life on your knees before God, not necessarily literally, but if you're going to rock up to the door and say, hey, you know, can I come in? <laughs> the Lord says, I don't know where you come from. And you can't say to him, well, I spoke to you every day of my life. Prayer is communion with God. A life on your knees. A life in service to God, to his church, and in the world. Here's the hard ones. A life of confession. Not just repentance, confession. Start with confession. Father, I have done this. I have thought that. I have not done this. 
because that's where repentance starts with confession right otherwise you're just doing works got to confess first a life where you learn to suffer the loss of all things because you know that the surpassing worth of knowing Christ is much better that's what it looks like What does it look like then to not strive as a Christian? That's probably a, a good way to think about it. And I don't want to, I'm not thinking of anyone here today, but I do know Christians who are lazy. She'll be right. God will get me there. I don't have to do anything well, from a theological perspective in terms of how you are justified. That's true. But what about your sanctification? Oh, God will just do it. You know, it'll all happen in the end in a twinkling of an eye. I'll be made perfect. Amen. But shouldn't you get to it now? You've been asked to obey. Been asked to love him in that way. <clears throat> I guess the question arises then, doesn't it? Are you a Christian? What's your striving like? What are you striving for? What are you striving to? You're striving against God. I know people that are. Suffering comes and they blame God. You're striving with Him. Strive to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Don't let Him say, I don't know where you come from, Sam. Well, I come from Chapel Street, you know, little church. East end of Armadale, New South Wales, Australia, Southern Hemisphere, Fear, Globe. Remember that, Lord? I don't know where you come from. Where are you coming from in here? In your heart. But here's the thing. You won't strive. You won't strive if you do not know Christ. There's nothing to strive for other than works, and they bear no fruit ultimately. And so you need to know Christ. You might say, well, how do I know him? You need to know his surpassing worth, his infinite value. You want redemption, you need to know the price of your redemption was the precious blood of Christ. Oh, how do I know that? Well, let's consider why it's precious. He's Jesus. He's, he's, do you know who he is? He's God. He's God. It's just a man. He's God. He came to earth. He's the one that created. He spoke and you existed. This globe, this cosmos, this universe existed by him speaking. It's the first thing you need to know. He's God. All right. Okay. He's God. He's the son of God. He becomes a man born in human flesh, under the law, in the likeness of men. That's my first question, if you don't know Christ. Who do you think he is? The Bible's very clear. He's very clear. My mother, who doesn't know Christ, used to say, well, Jesus never makes himself out to be Christ. Have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> and then you have to go to this. You have to understand the cross. What do you mean? He became a man and, and then he died? Yeah. But you said he was God. God can't die. I know. Isn't it amazing? 
Well, why did he die? This is the whole thing. For two fundamental reasons. One, so that he could uphold and vindicate the righteousness of his father by dying under the law, judged by the father under the law for his sin. No. Why not? Well, because he didn't commit any sin. Well, how could he be judged? Well, guess what? Sam, he takes your sin. He takes your sin and says to the Father, judge me instead of Sam. Please, just do it. Let's do this. I'll uphold your law. Let's fulfill the law now. That's what the cross is. In order that, as he's dead, as he's buried, in three days, he punched his way up through the grave victorious forever and he reigns now in heaven he's coming again he's going to shut the door in order that you might know him that you might follow him that you might strive in this life to know him and without that you cannot know christ you cannot know christ without this cross without the gospel so well great thanks so what what do i do with that well, it's just very simple. It's not hard. Be honest about who you are. You come to God as a Pharisee. Hey, look at me, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Benjamite. I know the law. I was pretty blameless, right? Let me in. Open the door. No. You're a sinner. By nature. And guess what? You also sin. It's twice as bad. You do things that do not please God by nature, and you enjoy them. We enjoy them. That's sin, and it's horrible to God. So to come to Christ, you need to accept who he is, but you need to accept who you are. Otherwise, you won't get there to him. I don't care who you are. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not, not caring about you. But who you are, where you come from, what you've done in this life, great you think you are or how much money there is in your bank account what lineage of family you come from it'll never get you through the narrow door ever 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 give up on it come to christ in june 1995 my father lay in a bed in cardiff in hospital dying a man who claimed to follow judaism for at least part of his life, didn't come to Christ, knew something of the Bible, and the family were around the bed, and um, he was coming in and out of consciousness. And those moments when he came round, you just try and, right, let's get to him, let's, let's help him. Nice to try and share the gospel. And he was pretty sick of it, I might tell you. He used to share Psalm 23 and just hold his hand knowing that he's on the precipice of seeing a closed door. I said to him, Dad, you know, where, where are you going? You need to sort this out, right? This is it. He said to me, son, don't worry about it. Your God and I have an understanding. Well, God has an understanding, but you don't. The door's closed. There is a weeping. There is a gnashing of teeth. I don't want to say that about my father, but that's what this text is saying. Can't go in saying, hey, I'm Jewish. I know Abraham. 
Abraham's in, in this place here, communing, <laughs> reclining at table in the kingdom of God. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. You can do all the good deeds you want in this life. Great things. But if you don't know Christ, you will just amble your way down the broad path into hell. But if you strive to know Christ, to know him every day, if you strive to know Christ, you'll just glide through the narrow door and the door will be open. There's no other way. Then you will end up in the place where there is peace. Full redemption. You will end up in the place where there is eternal life with God. You will end up in the place where there is no more striving. Because you will be in the presence of the king. So the man asked, how many people are going to get saved? And Jesus said, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, but will not be able. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, um, I do thank you for the arrest that you bring to us through truth in your word. Thank you, Lord, that there is a door, and yet though it be narrow, you call us into it. Lord, I do pray that you would teach every one of us to strive to know Jesus Christ, to strive to love him, Lord, to love you. Lord, if any of us thinks we know you and does not, I pray you'd open our eyes. You'd cause us to see who we really are and who you really are, and that we will turn and confess and be born again. In Jesus' name. Amen.